Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Amen. Well, good morning, Harvest Lakeshore. I'm so excited to be here. This is a new face. I am not the tall and dashing Jamie. I am the short and stumpy Tyler from Gospel City Church, and I'm excited to be here with you today. Let me encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word, could you open it to Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. We're going to skip a few chapters ahead of where you are in your series. Now, Pastor Jamie called me yesterday and asked if I could fill in this morning, so um, I'm excited to be here. If you don't know me, I am the pastor of men's and young adult discipleship at Gospel City Church. I love Harvest Lakeshore. I love Pastor Jamie, and I'm excited to be opening God's Word with you this morning. Now, as you're finding your way to Hebrews chapter 12, I I would just ask you to go with me on a journey back in time to the year 1991. Now, in the year of 1991, where VHS was all in the rage, there was a movie that was released that was a modern adaptation of the classic story of Peter Pan. Do you remember the movie Hook? For real? Y'all are way too young, most of you, to remember that movie, right? It's Robin Williams at his best. So Peter Pan comes back to Neverland, and there's this beautiful, wonderful scene. And as I can remember back to my childhood days, putting that VHS in, watching it, and then having the Corvette fast rewinder to rewind it again and watch it all over, I can remember one scene in particular that stands out in my mind. And it's the scene where Peter's back with the Lost Boys and they're sitting at dinner and they're all digging into this hot, scrumptious feast and Robin Williams looks down at his bowl and it's empty before him. And everybody all around him, do you remember the scene? Everybody all around him is biting into juicy hamburgers and eating the most wonderful of meals. And there comes this point where Rufio, do y'all remember Rufio? right? Maybe not. You need to Google it. It's a beautiful thing. Rufio starts to antagonize Robin. And in this moment, he picks up his spoon and he flings the food at Rufio's face. And in that moment, Peter finally had enough belief to see what was before him. And maybe I liked it because it taught me how to properly food fight, or maybe I liked it because I'd never seen food coloring and food like that ever before. But what that showed me in that moment was until Peter had experienced what the Lost Boys had experienced, until he had eyes to see what was in front of him, he would never be able to access it. And here's what I love about the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, time and time and time again, does the exact same thing for us. And until we have eyes to see who Jesus is, what he has done and how it affects us, oh, Harvest Lakeshore, we will never see the beauty of the feast set before us. So in Hebrews chapter 12, as we come into this morning, what we're going to see is really the climax of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, all the way through to this point, has shown us time and time again who Jesus is. And I know you haven't quite gotten there yet, but just let me give you a preview of coming attractions. The book of Hebrews will show you that Jesus is far better than the angels, 
That Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than the priests. That Jesus is better than the Sabbath and he's better than the sacrifices. Throughout the book of Hebrews, you will see that Jesus is in fact better than all those things. And if that is true, if you have eyes to see the feast that is set before you in this beautiful book, then you will quickly realize that if Jesus is better, then he's also a better messenger than the angels. He's also a better leader than Moses. He's also the great high priest. He's also the better rest than the Sabbath. And he is the best and ultimate sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is all of these things. And we are given new eyes through faith to see them in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, as we're coming into just the first 11 verses this morning, here's my hope. This is, by all accounts, a climax in the book of Hebrews. This is a pivotal moment shifting in the book of Hebrews. We're coming out of chapter 11, and if you've been in church for a while, or if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, you know that Hebrews chapter 11 is a hall of fame for those who have followed faithfully the promise of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see all about how men and women for generations had suffered for the name of Christ, and they had endured to the end. They were faithful followers of him. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of their faith, they knew that Jesus was better. So this morning, my hope for us is simply this. As we look at these 11 verses, my hope is that by the end of our time together today, we would in unison be able to say that by faith, we believe that Jesus is better. He's better than anything you have right now. He's better than anything the world would offer you. He's better than any hardship or trial or success or acclaim that you could ever receive. He is better. So I hope you find your way to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 11. This is what the word of the Lord says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And, you have, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons." Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Praise the Lord. 
Today, as we go through our text, and as I hope what we'll see is that by faith, Jesus is better, in order for us to determine that, I want us to ask just three simple questions that will help us move through our text this morning. The first question I want us to ask is simply this. If Jesus is better, am I persevering or am I giving up? Notice the first two verses of our text begin with this connecting word, therefore. What the writer of the book of Hebrews is doing, he's calling to our minds chapter 11. He's giving us a glimpse back to draw to our memories those that have gone before us, the faithful men and women that have served Jesus and perished, the faithful men and the women that Hebrews chapter 11 would tell us the world is not worthy of. Notice verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is marked before us. Using the foundation of Hebrews 11, the writer is going to show us that these witnesses, those that have gone before us, aren't absent from our lives today. They provide us with an example of faithful followers. They give us the glimpse of what a life looks like full bore living and pursuing Christ. Here in Hebrews 12, we see that these faithful witnesses, they show us the importance of laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. I just want us to pause for a moment and get a glimpse of what the author of Hebrews has just done. He's given us this vision, this perspective, that there is an enduring, persevering race that if we are followers of Christ, then we are in. And man, that race, it doesn't start when you want it to start. That race began the moment you repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Christ alone. It's a race that you have no choice. You are in if you are a follower of Jesus. Now, I know it doesn't look like, and I know we don't know each other super well yet, but I'm five foot seven and a little out of shape. But there was a season in my life when I was a distance runner. And man, I would come to that line for my cross country races. Some of you just looked really shocked right there. I'm not sure how to take that. I'm going to receive that as grace, and we're just going to move on. But I appreciate that, right? Right, as I would approach the line in my race, here's, here was what I would do. I would begin to take off my sweats. So hoodie is off, sweatpants are off. I'm trading out my training shoes for my racing spikes. Man, every ounce of clothing that I can remove and still be appropriate, I'm doing getting ready for that race to begin. Because nobody runs a race in a trench coat. Nobody runs a race with 45 pounds weights on their arms. Nobody does that. And here in Hebrews chapter 12, what the writer of Hebrews is declaring to us is that we are in a race. And as we run this race, we have a decision to make. Will we throw off, cast aside, put away the weight and the sin which clings so closely to us? Or will we wrap our arms around that weight and sin and try to run a race and struggle and hurt, and not endure. In Hebrews chapter 12, I want us to draw attention really to these two phrases. There is a difference between a weight and a sin. Otherwise, the writer of Hebrews, God wouldn't have inspired him to say that. 
Notice in verse 1, he says, lay aside every weight and sin. The difference is, is that a weight is anything that hinders your pursuit of Christ. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be sin. It doesn't necessarily have to be bad. For you this morning, for the middle school boy or girl in our midst, this weight that you could be carrying is the desire to be a model student above all things. That for you, it has to be perfection, perfection, perfection. For the adult in the room, it could be a legalistic obedience to the Bible because you don't trust God's promise that salvation is by grace alone and faith alone through Christ alone. For the young adult in the room, it could be the remembrance of what your life was like before Christ and the condemnation that Satan heaps upon you for how you once lived. And you have yet to trust and believe that, Hebrew, that Romans 8.1 is true, that there is there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, a weight, a weight is anything that hinders us from our faithful pursuit of Jesus. So let me ask you today, Harvest Lakeshore, what weight are you carrying with you right now? We're gonna get to sins in a moment and that'll be fun. But right now you need to think through what weights do you carry? Because the weights that you carry will hinder you in your persevering race towards Christ. What are you carrying with you? Notice the writer goes on. He says, lay aside every weight and sin. Now, sin is, is an explicit affront to God, right? The, the sin that so easily surrounds you is most likely something that you could easily identify. It's the pride you feel in the in your heart. It's the lust you entertain in your mind. It's the division you cause with your words. It's the pornography you view on a regular basis. It's the words you use. It's the division you bring. It's the sin that separates you. So we aren't just to lay aside the weight which hinders us, but the writer of Hebrews declares to us that we must lay aside the sin which clings so closely. Realize that if we don't lay aside the sin and the weight that clings so closely to us, it's going to be difficult for us to run the race set before us. Weights and sins easily encircle us. They can quickly cling to us. But notice the hope. We're not left without hope. Notice the hope in the rest of verse 1 and 2. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, Harvest Lake Shore, as we lay aside, as we actively take off and throw away the weights and the sins that have encircled us, we are able, you are able to run with endurance the race that is set before you. Hear me. That race has already begun if you're a disciple of Christ. There is no bowing out of that race. It is set before you, and you are running. And that race isn't a cakewalk. It isn't a sprint. It's a consistent, faithful one foot in front of the other, mile after mile after mile after mile, looking back at the faithful men and women that God has shown us in his word that you could even probably name in your community that have followed Christ faithfully. It's getting encouragement from them and realizing, I need to shed this weight. I need to shed this sin to pursue Christ wholeheartedly. If you believe the gospel, then you are in this race. 
and realize this, that the invitation to follow Christ is an invitation to be a part of a lifelong race. This invitation is an invitation to throw off those things which easily entangle us and to pursue him for the rest of your life. He's given you new life. He's redeemed you if you're a follower of his. But realize that this redemption, the beauty of the gospel, it doesn't have a low bar of admittance. It's not impossible, but realize that the beauty and and the gospel of Jesus, it isn't just believing in Jesus so you won't go to hell. What that does is, is that creates another weight for someone to carry, thinking that the only benefit of a relationship with Jesus is that they don't go to hell. That's not the gospel. What the gospel gives you is eternal life. What the gospel gives you is a kingdom reality. What the gospel gives you is freedom from your sin, freedom from the weights. What the gospel gives you is purpose and life. It doesn't just give you a ticket out of hell when you die. It gives you a ticket into eternity right here, right now. That's the beauty of the gospel. That you and I, separated from Christ from birth, this chasm of sin that's created in us, a desire to be with him, that that chasm can only be bridged by the sacrificial death of Christ because he's the only one. Remember, he's the greater high priest. He's the greater sacrifice. And because of his sacrifice and our faith and trust in him and his resurrection and ascension to heaven where he's seated right now, we can look to him as the founder and perfecter of our faith and pursue him wholeheartedly. That's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel message invites us to acknowledge that sinfulness. The gospel message invites us to repent. The gospel message invites us to have faith in Christ alone for salvation. That's the gospel. And if you've believed the gospel, then you are in this race. There's a hope that's set before us, though, as we have seen these examples in this cloud of witnesses from Hebrews 11, and as we lay aside this weight and sin, this hope is found in running the race with endurance by looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The idea here is that we are strengthened in our faith when we look to Jesus. The word there in Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 2 for looking is a word that literally means to look undistractedly to look without being diverted. So as we're encouraged by the faithful who have lived their lives before us, we are without distraction to look to Jesus. Why? Because he's faithfully finished the race. Notice what it says in verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How could anybody endure a cross with joy because Jesus knew what the outcome would be? despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the first question we ask this morning is, are we persevering in this race or are we giving in? Are we casting aside Harvest Lake Shore, the weight and the sin which has clung so closely to you? Or are we willingly embracing it, trying to run and not understanding why it's so difficult, not understanding why we have to give up. And if Jesus is better, if by faith we believe Jesus is better, are we persevering or are we giving up? The second question we ask is simply this. If Jesus is better, am I resisting sin or am I giving in? Notice verses three and four. I love what the writer does. He moves on. He says, consider him 
who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. If Jesus is better, am I resisting sin or am I giving in? The author continues his exaltation of Christ and tells us that we shouldn't just look to Jesus, but that we should consider him. Now, man, I don't know if you could resonate with this story, but there was a time just a few weeks ago when my wife invited me on a shopping trip with her. Now, word to the wise, I've been married 13 years. I need to start saying no to those invitations, okay? So we get my kids, we get my mother-in-law in the van, and we drive to Menards to consider all the different vanities that we could have in a bathroom. Did you know there are so many choices for vanities? You could have cream or white, which strangely looks a lot like cream. You could have farmhouse or modern. So we walk through the aisles of Menards, all of the considerations that are before us, and then we don't choose any of them. We go to Home Depot. And Home Depot, it's the same thing. You walk through every aisle, and you look at all the considerations before you, examining which vanity my wife wanted the most. And we didn't find it there, so we go to Lowe's. This is a peer, and, and, by, and just so you know, I have an eight-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter. And we had told them, this is going to be a fun quick trip to Menards. By now, my daughter, who's six, is sitting on the floor at the door at Lowe's just moaning, please get us. I'm like, I know, baby girl, we're going to get there. Just be gracious to us, right? So my wife finally finds the vantage she wants. We purchase it, and then we return it a week later. (laughs) In Hebrews chapter 12, when the writer in verse 3 tells us to consider him, What he's not declaring to us is that we should consider Jesus as if he's just another vanity. That's not what he's saying. Jesus isn't one among many. He's the only one. And here in Hebrews 12 and verse 3, he says, consider, look to, with direction, be cognizant of, look to Jesus, consider him, think carefully with effect and precision, calculate who he is. The reality is, is that when we neglect to consider Jesus, when we neglect to carefully look to him, And realize that he is the perfecter and founder of our faith who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. When we neglect to consider Jesus in the midst of trial, in the midst of life, then we will easily become weary and faint-hearted. Can I ask you, as a disciple of Jesus, have have you experienced weariness over the past year? Over the past month, week, 12 hours? Have you become faint-hearted thinking that it's so difficult to carry on? Could I encourage you? Consider Jesus. Don't, don't flee to another book. Don't flee to another doctor. Don't flee to another vacation. Don't flee to overtime. Consider Jesus. He is the one who rescues us from our weariness and our faint-heartedness. When we fail to neglect and when we fail to consider Jesus alone in the midst of our struggle, we will quickly be weary and faint-hearted. The truth is, is that by faith, we believe, if we believe that Jesus is better, then we will quickly realize that this race that we're in, it is difficult. It is hard. 
It is countercultural. This race that we are in calls for endurance, and endurance doesn't come without struggle. And the struggle that is brought to the forefront here in Hebrews 12, verses 3 and 4, is the struggle against sin. And as we wage war against sin, one of two things will happen. We will successfully resist sin through the grace and power of Jesus, or we will give in. When, when we consider other things besides Christ in our battle against sin, what we end up with is we end up with rules and roadblocks and ramparts that we set up in our own strength and that we set up and trust will fight the battle of sin. When we lack consideration of Jesus and consider something else, what we do is we end up justifying our own sins as we compare ourselves to the sins of others. When we fail to consider Jesus alone in this battle, in this fight, in this struggle against sin, then discouragement happens because we inevitably fail in our fight against sin if it is built upon any other consideration than Jesus. Can I be honest with you? And again, we don't know each other super well yet, so please hear me with all the grace that I have. Could it be that the reason you are trapped in a repetitive cycle of sin is because you have yet to consider Jesus? Could that be? Could it be that there's division in your family or strife at your work or an enslavement to some addiction because you have yet to consider Jesus alone? You have considered all these other rules and roadblocks and ramparts. If I don't go there, if I don't say this, if we just don't talk about that at Easter dinner, it'll be fine. And hear me, all of those things are well-intentioned, but they aren't what will rescue you in the fight of sin. And, and what I'm not saying, Harvest, I'm not saying that you should never have rules, you should never have roadblocks, you should never have ramparts set up in your life. That's what I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that your first consideration is Jesus and you align your life, your heart with how he's told you to live. And yeah, it's wise to put up blocks in your life that will help you flee from sin, but they will only help you flee from sin if Christ is your first and primary consideration. Otherwise, you've created a legalistic imbalance where your righteousness and your justification is based upon what you are able to do apart from him. How foolish is that? Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle, in your fight, in this battle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Realize that when we have Jesus as our only and our primary consideration in this struggle against sin, when he is who we are looking to, who we are fixing our gaze upon, then realize that we have an example to follow. We have strength in the midst of weariness and faint-heartedness, and we have the promise of the reward to come of a future city where my struggle against sin will be no more. So Harvest, let me ask you, if Jesus is better, are you resisting sin or are you giving in? It could be that this morning, maybe even last night, there was a setback in your life. Hebrews is telling you that you, to, 
to not be discouraged, not be weary, not be faint-hearted, no matter if you're a teenager who has fallen prey to sin or an elderly woman who is prone to trust in your own considerations rather than Jesus or anywhere in between. The invitation we find in Hebrews chapter 12 is to cast aside that weight, cast aside that sin, and focus our eyes on Jesus as our primary consideration and to resist sin to the power of his grace in and through you. That's the invitation. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's what the writer of Hebrews is declaring to us in chapter 12. So this morning, if you, if you have yet to resist sin, or this morning, if you have fallen prey yet again, could I invite you to repent and flee from that? Come to Jesus as your only consideration. The third and final question we ask in our text this morning is simply this. If Jesus is better, am I enduring training or fleeing from him? Look at verses 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Realize if Jesus is better, am I enduring training or am I fleeing him? That's our final question this morning. What I want you to see in, in Hebrews 12, if you look at verses at verse five, if you just click on it, do you... My Bible doesn't work like this, but it should take you to the hyperlink back to Proverbs chapter three. What happens all throughout the book of Hebrews is that the writer takes all of these Old Testament passages and shows us how Jesus is spoken of in these passages. So here in Hebrews 12, the hyperlink brings us back to Proverbs chapter three. In Proverbs chapter three, verses, three through, or verses 11 through 12, what we see is Solomon writing to his son, giving him wisdom, giving him encouragement. And this is what Proverbs three declares to us. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. All throughout the book of Hebrews, the writer shows us how Jesus is spoken of in the Old Testament. And here in Hebrews 12, the writer brings to light this exhortation that's rooted in Proverbs chapter three. And we are comforted by the fact in verse six that the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, now I just, just wanna clear the air real quick. When we say discipline, how many of, your, of you flee to like your grandma telling you to get a switch out of the backyard? No, just me? She was really old, still is, right? right? So when I think of discipline, what, what comes to my mind is punitive. I don't know if that's you. That's me. 
Here in Hebrews chapter 12, the word that the writer uses for discipline, the synonym for it is the word training. Training. And there's a difference between training and punitive discipline, isn't there? So here in Hebrews 12, what the writer isn't declaring to us is that God is punitively punishing you for what you've done. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is declaring. He's not telling us that God will discipline you in that manner. What he's declaring to you is that he will train you. He will train you because he trains, he disciplines and chastises the son or the daughter whom he loves. Now, again, I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, and my eight-year-old is at this point where his inner lawyer is taking over. Did you guys have children like this? Maybe not. Where he, he, he can, in his mind, argue and rationalize any decision he makes. The other day, he took my wife's chapstick, watermelon chapstick, like cranked it up and ate it. <laughs> just, just in that moment as a father, like there's so much that's running through my mind. Like I'm like, one, why is that even an idea in, like to you? Like there's a refrigerator, like literally right next to you, there's a refrigerator full of food. You can have as many cookies as you want, bro. Just don't eat chapstick. That's one. Two, I'm thinking through the health consequences. Is beeswax in his stomach a good thing? Will it be coated? Now is it just going to shed like everything he eats? And anyways, I'm not, a, again, not a doctor, not super smart. And the third thing is, Jax, bro, you, you know that's not, don't do that. And then all of a sudden, his inner lawyer comes out. Well, it really wasn't my fault, dad. Mom, it wasn't my fault. You see, Adelai, his six-year-old sister, told me to do it. Like, that makes it better. Like, okay, come on, bud. It's time for the discipline, right? So what's happening here in Hebrews 12, and, and as we read discipline, what I hope you don't run to in Wait for it. I just turned it. We are. I thought I just turned myself off. I didn't. Praise the Lord for that. In Hebrews chapter 12, what happens here as we think about discipline, what I hope you don't run to is, is I hope you don't run to a justification of your actions before a holy God. Don't try to do that. Don't try to be my son to God. Don't try and justify what you've done and the discipline you're receiving. Realize that discipline comes to those whom God loves. And realize that discipline is a sign of your inclusion into God's family. What's it say here in Hebrews 12, 6? It said, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every what? Son whom he receives. Discipline happens to the children of God for one purpose and one purpose alone. For you and I to realize our lack of righteousness and to be corrected and to pursue it. That's why we are disciplined. Notice what the rest of the text says. It says it's for discipline that you have to endure. God's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If we are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Please hear what the writer of Hebrews has just declared to you. If God doesn't discipline you, then you are an illegitimate child. That's crazy. Besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Notice verse 10. For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. What's the purpose of godly discipline? 
The purpose of godly discipline is to share his holiness. The purpose of godly discipline is for you and I to consider Jesus, to follow him, the founder and perfecter of our faith, to look to him as the prime example, the one whom we should model our lives and follow after. The purpose of discipline is so that we might share in his holiness. And I love verse 11, as as if we needed this realization. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Somebody should say amen right there, right? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The result of discipline in your life, Harvest Lakeshore, disciple of Jesus, the result of discipline in your life given to you by God is the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hear me, discipline will come. Every good runner knows that in order for them to reach the the level of athleticism for the race that's set before them, a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, a marathon, whatever it might be, that there are hard training days. And at the end of those hard training days, they know they are one step closer to completing the goal set before them. For you and I as followers of Jesus, our hard training days are come to us through the discipline that God gives us. It's a good thing God disciplines you. It's a good thing that God disciplines me because I'm a wretched, sinful man. There's so much in me that needs to be driven out by discipline because my pride is easy to take over. My trust and reliance in myself can easily take over. And the same is true for you. If God were not to discipline you and leave you to your own devices, oh, what a wicked place this would be. God disciplines his children. He treats us as sons so that we might see and share in his holiness and so that we might have the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's why he gives us discipline. It seems painful at the time, but it yields a beautiful fruit. So Harvest Lakeshore, let me ask you, if Jesus is better, if he's truly better, if by faith we believe that Jesus is better, are we enduring training or are we fleeing from him? The reality is, is that for you and I, if we're disciples of Jesus, our lives should be marked by a faith that Jesus is better than any other alternative. And because of this, we can press on in this race of life. We can resist sin in a daily struggle, and we can endure training as a committed disciple who is pursuing holiness and the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's the vision that the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 gives us. So this morning, as we land the plane, as we come to a close, here's my hope. My hope is is that by faith, you believe Jesus is better that he's a better alternative to anything you pursue. And that, man, if you are clinging on to a weight or sin, and if you're a follower of Jesus, man, you would repent of that, you would turn away from that, and you would come back to him fresh and anew. You would realize he's the founder and perfecter of your faith, that he is the one that you should be looking to, and that the discipline he gives is meant to show you uh, to his holiness and for you to reap the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This morning, I'd love to pray for us. And man, if God is moving you, 
If you're a disciple of Jesus and there is something that you need to repent of and come back to him in, now's the time for that. Likewise, if you're here this morning and you're visiting, or if you've been here for a while and you've yet to turn your life to the author and founder of our faith, Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame for you. And the invitation for you is to simply repent of your sins, to turn from them and to come to him, placing your faith and trust in Christ alone. So Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that we have an opportunity to open it and to be challenged by it. And I do pray for Harvest Lakeshore. I pray that they would be a community of disciples who are focused and pursuing you, Jesus, because you indeed are better than any alternative, pressing on in the hardships of this race, enduring your training, resisting sin for your sake and your glory. It's in your name, Christ, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.